Okay, let's go ahead. We'll be in Genesis tonight, Genesis chapter 6. And last week we started a new series, and this series is uh, supposed to be going through the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at types of Christ, uh, figures of Christ in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to be examining salvation in the Old Testament. And I told you last week, uh, I didn't know if I'm calling it uh, Jesus B.C. or Salvation B.C., one or the other. I still haven't decided. We'll see how it goes. I'll name it later. But anyway, that's what we've been doing. And so last week, what we were looking at was the occasion of the first sin of Adam and Eve in uh, Genesis chapter number three. And we find that after they sinned, it uh, awakened their guilt and their shame, and it separated them from God. And because of this, uh, God made a way. He had told them before any of this ever happened. He said, uh, you can eat of every tree, but of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die, right? And so he had given them everything. He had provided them all things. He had a relationship with them, but he gave them a choice. He didn't force them to obey. He didn't force them uh, into a relationship, but love must have a choice. And so he gave them a choice and their choice was to reject him, to not trust him. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in order to uh, express faith, there has to be the, the choice to reject. And so that's what happened there. They ate of the tree. They felt the shame, the nakedness, the sting of sin, all of those things. They ran and hid from God and they feared him. They blamed one another. They blamed God, all these things going on. And so God, in his love and his mercy, uh, extended to them a means of salvation. And he slew an animal, and he clothed their nakedness with the animal's skin. And so we see the the very first time that the innocent died for the guilty, that the guilty party was clothed uh, in the, the garment of the innocent there, a picture of us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and how Adam and Eve had to uh, realize they were sinners, uh, know that they deserved punishment, and accept the payment that was offered, the, the uh, salvation that was uh, offered to them. And so they did that. We followed that on through to Cain and Abel, where apparently it had been instituted, implemented, whatever you want to call it, that they were to offer up blood sacrifices. And Abel followed God's plan. He, uh, likewise to Adam and Eve, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he couldn't pay for his sins. And so he accepted that payment, that uh, method of salvation that God had offered by faith. And he slew an animal and uh, offered up its blood. And Cain said he didn't like God's plan. He didn't like God's way. And so he decided to offer up the works of his own hands. And whenever God rejected that, uh, rather than going back and doing what was right, he doubled down, he got angry, and he persecuted uh, Abel, the one that was actually serving God and was doing things God's way. Uh, he ended up being the uh, recipient of Cain's anger, his rage, and was killed by Cain. And we quickly went from uh, disobedience, from eating of the tree, to murder. I mean, that that's pretty quick, right, in one generation? And that kind of sets the the path, if you will, for the way mankind would do, how quickly sin would explode in this earth. And that's what we're going to find here with Noah today. But salvation has always been uh, by grace through faith. It has never been earned. It's never been merited. And the reason we're going through this study is because it's important for us to understand this. It's important for us to have a good, thorough knowledge of what it means to be saved and how salvation comes about. Uh, because that is what we're building our entire faith upon. That's what why we're Christians. That's what we're placing all of our hope and eternity on. And many people get this wrong. And many believe that in the Old Testament, people were saved a different way from the New Testament. A lot of people get hung up on the law in the Old Testament and think that it was by keeping the law or somehow it was by their good deeds in the Old Testament. And then some people take that to an extreme. Many people take that to an extreme and use that way of thinking 
to apply to the New Testament as well. And so that's how you end up with uh, priesthoods and uh, rituals and confessions and cleansings and ceremonies and all these different things is they are saying in the Old Testament there was works involved. So that means in the New Testament uh, there's probably works involved as well. And so it really messes up our idea of salvation. But whenever we take it all the way back to the very beginning, we see that salvation was always the same way. Okay? And so coming here to uh, Genesis chapter number 6, really the story of Noah covers about four chapters. We're not going to read them all, but I'll read. I want to go ahead and read Genesis 6 just because it is a short chapter. Okay? Fairly short. And so Genesis chapter 6, verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took, took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that were when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, uh, filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it uh, 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make uh, to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou fashion it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein the breath of, the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die." But with thee I will establish a covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And, it, and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And so as we look at this passage, we are looking at types and figures of salvation of Christ in the Old Testament. And this is a, a very good one. This is a very important one, because we find that after uh, God had clothed Adam and Eve and I went through everything with uh, Cain and Abel that sin began to multiply extremely quick. We see within just a few chapters here, or just two chapters really, uh, because chapter three was where Adam and Eve was, and then we had four and five, and now at chapter six, it says that man was so corrupted, so filthy, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, and so that leads us to uh, believe that there was no goodness about him. We like to think today that every person still has some kind of good quality to them, right? That there's at least some goodness with inside of every man. And God says that at this time with Noah, that all men were corrupted, that 
every imagination, even the things that they thought of, even the thoughts in their mind, was only evil continually. And so things have deteriorated quickly. And we talked a little bit last week about uh, dispensations. We went from uh, that of innocence to after Adam and Eve ate off of the tree, then they were under conscience, right? And so it was left to their conscience to keep reined in their sinful uh, desires and practices and whatnot. And so it has proven very quickly that conscience is insufficient to reign in sin. Mankind cannot be left to their own conscience. And so whenever we have the idea of let your conscience be your guide or follow your heart, these kind of things, we know that our conscience is easily defiled, it's easily ignored, and that conscience isn't sufficient to keep us on track. And so uh, under conscience, man has gotten to this place. And so rather than allowing a downward spiral of mankind into oblivion, God decides that he is going to step in here. He's going to interrupt man's progression into wickedness. And if we look at it from that way, uh, there was no hope for mankind without God's intervention. We know that mankind is going to continue to devolve, okay, unless something happens. And so with this, uh, Noah and his family were the only ones who were still seeking after God, were still following after God. And so God let it get down to the last uh, righteous man on the earth before he decides that he's just going to wipe it out and start again. And if we look at God and think of him as being cruel or unjust or mean for sending a flood and drowning all of creation, think about what the alternative would be. What if God would have allowed mankind to continue in the direction they were going and only continue to uh, get more wicked, continue to corrupt themselves, and essentially became fodder for hell, right? Wouldn't God be even more cruel to allow mankind to just completely devolve into complete uh, wickedness, complete, just fitted for destruction, basically? And so in his mercy, he interrupts that, right? He puts an end to it. And he says, my, uh, my spirit shall not always strive with man, he says, I'm not going to put up with this much longer, and I'm going to number his days 120 years. So even whenever they got to this point of complete corruption, God says, I'm going to still give them more time. We find that God is extremely long-suffering with mankind. And one of the reasons I'm going into this is that people uh, levy all kinds of uh, accusations against God to this day. We've all heard people say, uh, if God is so good, why does he allow wickedness in this, earth, in this world? Why doesn't God do something about this? Right? But then whenever God does something about it, then they think that he's mean. So it's a good thing that he is not imprisoned by man's opinions of him, right? And so it's the very same people that would say, why doesn't God do something that would also accuse God of being mean whenever he actually does do something? And so this is whenever God did step in, whenever he did do something. And what he ended up doing, uh, keeping with our, our theme of salvation here, we see the total wickedness, the total inability of mankind to save himself, that it wasn't by good deeds that he could do, not by works that he was doing, but God steps in and he announced sin and he announced the judgment for sin. But then he offered a way of escape, right? And is that not what he still does in the New Testament? And so he comes to Noah, and it says that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Does that mean that he was sinless? No, it goes on to explain what it means by being just and perfect. It says that Noah walked with God. And so what is it that makes a man just and perfect? It is that he is seeking after God. It is someone who is who has faith in God, right? It is our faith that justifies and so Noah was desiring the will of God. He was desiring to serve God. And we can see that he had uh, some godly influences in his life. Methuselah, his grandfather, Lamech, his father. And both of them would have lived up until almost the time of the flood. So they would have been here during this 120 years, probably helping him build the boat. 
would have been helping him being an influence to his children that also boarded the boat. And then they died right before they got on the boat. Okay? They may have already had a, a room picked out on the ark. I don't know because uh, one of them died, I think, the year of, one just a few years pr prior to it. So they might have already had a room picked out on the ark and had some stuff moved in. We never really think of that, do we? They already claimed one of the rooms. But anyway, with looking at this in the, the mindset of salvation, we see that there is sin. The sin needs to be dealt with. It has to be judged because God is a holy God. He, can't, he is a just God. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished because the wages of sin is always death. And in this, he comes to Noah. He says, I'm going to destroy the entire earth. I'm going to use the earth to wipe out all of creation. There's going to be a flood and waters are going to drown every living creature on this earth. But I have chosen you. I've extended to you an offer of salvation. And through this, I'm going to keep mankind alive so that they may be able to replenish the earth after the flood. Now imagine being Noah and having this dropped on your lap. Wouldn't this be a daunting task? The future of humanity depends on you. We see this in movies and like superhero TV shows and stuff like that. But it's, it wouldn't be as fun in real life. But he has a huge task that's put upon him. Uh, at the time, whenever he would have been an old man already, he'd been 480 years old because he had 120 years, and the flood was whenever he was 600 years old. Right? 480-year-old man to build a boat that's going to save humanity. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it, right? And so anyway, God came to him, announced the, the condition of mankind, the judgment against him, and he offered up salvation. He offered uh, a way of escape. And it tells us that Noah believed God. He believed. And as it says about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7, same thing going on with him as it's recounting. I'll go ahead and flip back there just for the sake of, uh, of uh, looking at this thoroughly. But Hebrews chapter 11, yeah, chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And so from the very beginning, salvation has always been by faith. And so Noah believed God. Noah trusted God. And he was saved by his faith. It wasn't the building of the ark. It wasn't the works of righteousness, which he did. It was his faith that sealed his fate, if you will. It was his faith that saved his soul, not his works. And that's important for us to learn. It's important for us to see that even at that very early stage, that salvation has always been by faith. And... Um, An important thing that this story highlights, though, is that faith results in action, right? Because he believed, therefore he built, right? He believed, therefore he obeyed. And belief results in action. How we believe affects what we do. And if our belief does not affect in what we are doing, do we actually believe It'd be hard to convince people of it, right? And so an example that I was thinking of on this as I was studying this out and not getting political or anything, but just an example is with uh, our recent, too recent uh, issue with COVID, right? Whenever people believe that there was a, a real disease called COVID and they realize that, or they believe that there was a real danger to their health, and they believe that vaccines and masks could protect them and could save them, what did they do? They did it. They wore masks. They cut down their social contact. They didn't go places. They took the vaccine because they believed, right? What about those who didn't believe? Laughed at them, right? Uh, they're riding around in their car with their mask on. What's that protecting them, right? Right? 
So if they didn't believe, they didn't wear a mask, or if they did wear it, they wore it just out of compliance because they had to, took it off whenever the first time they could, didn't wear it right, didn't get the vaccine, still had uh, interaction with other human beings, right? And so their belief determined their actions. Didn't it? If I told you that you could go down to the bank and the bank would give you a thousand euro, how do I determine whether or not you believe me? Okay. If you don't go to the bank, you didn't believe, right? If you do go to the bank, you did believe. Our belief affects our actions. We act on what we believe. If you believe something to be a danger, then you're going to take steps to avoid it. If you believe something is going to uh, benefit you, you're going to take steps to get the benefit, right? And that affects every area of our life. We're not talking about just in faith. What we believe affects our actions. People believe all kinds of crazy things, and therefore it affects their actions. The Muslims believe that they have to pray multiple times a day and they have the call to prayer. And they and so they go out of their way to keep that call to prayer. Uh, the Catholics believe that they're counting the beads and reciting the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys and all these different things. They believe that and somehow that gives them uh, a spiritual benefit. And so they go through those actions because of what they believe. And so Noah believed God. And as a result of his belief, then he built the boat. And so his salvation came from the belief, but his action was the building of the boat. And that was an outward manifestation, if you will, an outward evidence of what he believes. We can look at the entire book of James, and James is an encouragement to Jews who were fleeing because of persecution and they were tempted to hide what they believed. They were tempted to not act like Christians and to try to fit into their surroundings. And James encourages them to allow their, uh, their faith to work its way outward, for it to not be hidden, for them not to be undercover Christians. And so in James chapter 2, uh, down about verse number 14, you have the, the well-known verse where it, it talks about... Uh, my brain's not working very well for quoting today. I'm going to turn it over there, okay? James chapter number two. In verse number 14, it says, What doth a prophet, what does a prophet, brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith save him? If brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not the things which they which are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so in the in that passage, uh, James is talking to believers. But he is saying that a faith that is hidden is a faith that's not very effective. It is a faith that is not going to uh, be evidenced. It's not going to be seen. It's not going to be proven because it is our actions that are evidence of what we believe. And for us as Christians, if what we believe is not affecting what we're doing, then I would want to check into what we believe and make sure we actually believe it, right? And so I'm not getting into this whole idea of, uh, yes, there are carnal Christians. Yes, there are Christians who don't have the appearance that they are Christians and may actually be. Sometimes it's up to God to judge those ones, right? But for us individually, for us personally, if we believe there is a God, if we believe that he is a good God, that he knows what's best, that he sees all, that he knows all, that he has determined some things to be sinful and some things to be good, that at the end there's going to be a judgment, that he has made a way of salvation for whosoever will, and that he has sent us to be witnesses for him unto this world. If we believe all of those things, 
then it should have an effect on how we live. If I believe that God hates sin and I belong to him, then I should hate sin as well, right? Desire to avoid sin. Am I always going to be successful? Probably not. There are going to be times I mess up. Yes, most likely. Okay? But I should desire not to sin, right? If I believe that there is an eternity ahead of us, I should be uh, prioritizing eternity, right? If I believe that after this life, that this life is but a vapor, but that life is going to abide forever, and that I can lay up treasures there, then I should be seeking to do that now, right? If I know that God, and I believe that God uh, desires to save all man or all men, and he has sent us to be witnesses, then I should be looking for ways that I can be a witness for him, right? And so if there is a Christian or someone who says that they are a Christian that has no desire to serve God, has no issue with sin, has no interest in things that are spiritual or eternal, then I would start to wonder if they actually believe what they say they believe. Right? Now, I can't judge their heart. I don't know what's going on in their heart. But for looking from the outside, it doesn't appear that they actually believe it. Because if you believe something, it should affect your actions. And so with Noah, he believed God, and he knew that even though this seemed something unfathomable, because up to this time, we don't even know that it's ever rained, right? And God says to Noah, there's going to be enough water that comes upon this earth that it's going to cover the entire earth and it's going to drown every man because of their sinfulness. Noah could have looked at him and says, that's impossible. That's crazy. There's not enough water. I've never seen water come from the sky. Who would ever think of that? I don't know how to build a boat, God. I'm old. He could have come up with all kinds of excuses. He could have said, I just don't think that's a thing. God, sorry, you got the wrong person. Because he didn't believe, right? But he did believe. And thank God for that, because if he didn't believe, we wouldn't be here today, right? And so over and over here, I am emphasizing this fact that man was saved by faith. God told him something. He said, man is sinful. There's a judgment that lies ahead, and there is a way for you to escape this judgment. And Noah says, okay, I believe you. And from that point, he's saved. Maybe before then, because it seems like he believed and was following God before that. He was already a saved man, and then God gives him a, ta a task to accomplish, right? And so Noah becomes a preacher of righteousness. And for 120 years, Noah is building on this boat. He is testifying to the world that there is sin, and it's caused a crisis, that God is judging the world, and that he is going to... Uh, going to wipe everyone out, and the only way of escape is if they get in his boat. Which is, once again, by belief, right? They didn't even have to swing a hammer. They didn't have to drive a nail. They didn't have to saw a lumber. He says, all you have to do is believe what I'm telling you. Look around. The world is sinful. It is a mess. There is a God above, and he cannot allow it to keep going like this. He is going to judge it, and so you need to get in my boat. And they mocked him and they ridiculed him and they refused to get in because they did not believe. So faith is always the point of salvation here. It's always the point of entry, if you will. And God was long-suffering. He gave him 120 years to prepare. He was merciful. Excuse me. The ark had much more room than Noah and the animals needed people much smarter than me have done the math and figured up the amount of space that would have been on the ark, the amount of room that the animals and the uh, food and everything necessary would have taken up. And they estimate that somewhere around one entire floor of the ark would have still been available. 
meaning that God made provision for so many more people than just Noah and his family, so much more than just him and the animals, that he made provision for many other people to come on the ark if they would simply believe and enter in, right? And so all of this is informative for us today because, as I already talked about, many people complain about the evil in the world today, want God to do something about it, and we know that God will eventually do something about it. But why is he waiting so long? The same reason why he waited back then is his long-suffering, his patience, is so that the gospel can go further, so that more can get saved, because God is not looking forward to judging this earth. The Bible says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so he's not looking forward to the day that he has to come down and put away sin and to punish evil. He's not looking forward to that day because he loves mankind and he wants to see them saved. And so just as he gave an extra 120 years past whenever his patience was up, today he's still giving that extra time, hoping that more people will be saved. And so even though he was long-suffering, even though he was merciful, had so much more room, there was those who didn't believe. And God's still allowing things to deteriorate. He's still being patient. He's still being merciful. And as he's being patient, he's still sending people to preach, sending churches, sending different ones to go out and proclaim the gospel, to make it known, to make it available. And what is the world's reaction? If you can kind of mentally transport yourself back to Noah's day, imagine watching Noah build the boat. With every swing of the hammer, it was ringing out judgment upon mankind. It was a warning to them saying judgment is coming. Every time they would pass by the boat, it was a warning to them that judgment was coming. Every time they would hear Noah proclaim, the mankind is sinful, God is going to judge, you have to get in the boat. And constantly what Noah and his family would have heard is you all are a bunch of kooks. Right? Why are you building a boat in the middle of the plains? You getting ready to go sailing, Noah? Right? What are you going to do with all those animals? You opening up a zoo, Noah? Been a hundred years, Noah. When's it going to start raining? You say water's falling from the sky. Yeah, I haven't ever seen that. Can you imagine the mockery and the ridicule that he would have heard day in and day out and day in and day out of people who didn't believe? And so whenever we tell about heaven and hell, whenever we tell about Jesus and his shed blood, whenever we tell about the resurrection, whenever we say that there is a means of salvation for those who will confess their sins and they will trust in Jesus Christ to pay for their sins, cover their sins, save their soul, and take them to heaven, we seem as foolish to this world. They mock. They ridicule. They think we're goofy. But... You know, in Noah's day, that one day they entered into the ark, God shut up the door, and the rain started falling. Suddenly they weren't as kooky, were they? Suddenly Noah got a whole lot smarter, didn't he? And that's where we're at today. And we can learn that as we look at this here today that God sent out the call, He sent out the warning. He made salvation available. He made people uh, perfectly capable of proclaiming it, but yet people rejected it, refused it, mocked it, ridiculed it, rejected it until the day that Noah and his family entered into the ark. And upon that day, it was too late. One of these days, all the people who have mocked and ridiculed and made light of the things of God are going to remember every joke, every uh, everything that they'd ever said against God, every blasphemy, and they are going to regret it, right? And I don't say that joyfully, 
And I say it as a matter of fact. That's what's going to happen, just the same as it did back then. And so anyway, just thinking of, of different lessons that we can learn from this, um, we are probably still going to get the same reaction as what Noah did. If we're looking for the gospel to go out and a great revival to happen and all of the world turns to Jesus, probably not going to happen. We can find all throughout Scripture that God's people have always been a remnant. The only time that there was ever only believers on the earth was in the days of Adam and the days of Noah. Right? <coughs> the only day it's going to happen again is after the next judgment. After Armageddon, right? And so this isn't to discourage us. It's not to uh, make us uh, sorrowful. But it is to help us to realize that we are going to often be in the minority. Our message is not going to be received with the joy that it should be received with. Uh, another thing that I believe is extremely important in this, that is actually a, a very joyful thing, is that whenever Noah was tasked with this job of building the boat. Do we find any evidence whatsoever that Noah was a boat builder? Any evidence that he was even a wealthy man? He may have been, Abraham was, but we don't have evidence that he was a wealthy man. Don't have evidence that he was a boat builder. Don't have any evidence that he was a zoologist. Could you imagine all of a sudden being in charge of every species of animal? Having to take care of them, bring them into a boat? And so he would have felt way in over his head on this. All of these tasks that God had asked him to do, he didn't feel uh, sufficient to do. But we find that God gave him the skills. He gave him the wisdom, the knowledge, the abilities. He provided for the materials that he needed. And he brought the animals to him. So whenever we think about this, uh, Noah, as he was there walking by faith, and his actions were showing that he believed God, and he was proclaiming righteousness and salvation to the world around him that was rejecting, and he was seeking to do what God wanted him to do, that God provided for him the things that he needed to do to do what God wanted him to do. And down throughout Scripture, we find plenty of examples of that. Moses is another one. God came to Moses, and Moses says, there's no way I'm able to do that. We don't have a recorder for Noah, but I figure he probably had the same idea. But God didn't have Moses to build an ark. And he didn't have Noah to lead people out of Egypt. But each of them had a task that God wanted them to do. And God supplied them with the talents, the gifts, the abilities, uh, the materials, whatever it was that they needed to do the task at hand. And so for us as, Christian, as Christians today... God has something for each and every one of us to do that fits into his plan, into his will for this world. And whatever it is that he has for us to do, he will provide for us. He will enable us to do that. And I have to constantly remind myself of that because most of the time I spend feeling like I'm in it in my head, doing things that I don't necessarily feel competent in doing, but I believe I'm following God and I have to trust that he is going to enable me to do exactly what he wants for me to do. If Noah, at 480 years old, can build a boat that was so huge that modern man hasn't built a boat of that size until like the 1850s. Okay? So from the time of Noah until like 1850, there was not a boat built of that size. It was built to perfect specifications. Uh, scientists say that uh, with the dimensions that was given, it was almost uh, impossible for it to be capsized, for it to tip over. That's incredible, right? The, the common saying is that uh, professionals built the Titanic and amateurs built the Ark. Y'all heard that before? And so this is the thing is that God will enable us will give us knowledge, abilities, and everything to carry out his will through us. He's not asking us to build an ark, but he's asking us to walk out our own faith, right? 
as we look at on Sunday, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is what Noah was doing. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Noah believed, and then he walked according to his belief. God wants us to walk according to our belief, right? And so at the end here with Noah and the ark, judgment finally came, and we find that believers were kept safe in the ark while judgment raged below. And so the day came whenever the judgment that Noah had been preaching about and had been hearing about and everything finally came to pass. And one of these days, just as sure as the flood came, one of these days, the judgment will come again. God will judge the quick and the dead. God will come and will set all things right. The things that we have studied through Daniel and through Revelation and all the end-time prophecies, they will happen. We can guarantee that. We won't understand all of it because you look at both of our occasions that we've looked at so far. Whenever God told Adam, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Did Adam understand what that meant? He didn't know what it meant. Whenever God told Noah, I'm going to send a flood that's going to wipe out all of mankind. Could Noah even begin to fathom what that entailed? That would be so far out there. That would be so crazy to him. And so whenever God tells us about things like we read in Revelation and tells about the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet and the vials and bowls and the, the, all of these judgments and the scrolls and the angels and the horses and do we understand all of that? No. I mean, we can go through and talk about it. Noah could have, you know, talked with his wife and with these kids. What do you think he means that water is going to fall? Is it going to be big drops or little drops? Windows of heaven are going to come up. Well, I know what a window is, but usually it doesn't let the water in. What does he mean by that? The fountains of the deep are going to be broken up. What does that mean? I mean, he could have discussed it. He could have thought about it, but he couldn't have fathomed what actually was going to happen in those 40 days and 40 nights, right? But he chose to believe. And so in all of what we've seen so far, how was Noah saved? Because he believed. Not because he built a boat. We'd still see him in heaven if he didn't build the boat. But if God told him to build the boat because the flood was coming, he didn't build the boat, we would have said he didn't believe, right? What if, what if Noah was a slow boat builder? It did take him 120 years. What if it took him 150? I think God would have waited until he built the boat. Right? And so salvation is by grace through faith. It is provided by God at God's expense because of his mercy. Uh, just something I haven't really pointed out, but I will here now. Verse number eight, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just the idea of grace, it means that for some reason that God saw fit to look down to Noah and to have mercy on him. That it originated in God, not in Noah's ability, not in who Noah was. I already quoted the verse that without faith it is impossible to please God. Another passage of Scripture says that whenever the Lord returns, will he find faith on the earth? And I think this is what was going on in Noah's day, is that God looked down and said, out of all the people on the earth, that guy will believe me. And so because he will believe me, I am going to shed my grace on him. I am going to give him the opportunity the ability to be saved and to be a witness to this world before I destroy it of my salvation. And so how do we find grace in the eyes of the Lord? By having a heart of faith to believe what he has said, who he is, right? And so the very last thing that I want to do is kind of a little bit off topic here but something that's great that we can learn from Noah and the ark 
is the fact that through this judgment that God removed his people from it and he protected them through it. And I believe that Noah and the ark is an incredible picture of the reason why I believe that we as Christians will not go through God's judgment. We see all the way throughout Scripture there's always a pattern of God removing his people before he releases his judgment. We see that again with uh, uh, with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I believe that's the same thing as we get to the end time. This is why I am uh, a firm believer in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, is that God always delivers his people before he releases judgment on the ones who have rejected him. And so while the judgment was going on below, Noah and his family who had believed God were safely rotting together in the ark. And that ark is a picture of Christ. Okay? One of Paul's favorite, or favorite terms for salvation in his writings is that we are in Christ. Last week, I likened it to the animal skin enrobing the person. They were in that animal. They were in Christ. Noah and his family were in the ark. And it says that Noah was to coat the entire ark with pitch. And the word that is translated pitch there is also in other places in the scriptures translated atonement. It means covering. Okay? And so that pitch was a type of the blood of Jesus that they were surrounded by and that it took them through past above the judgment of God and kept them safe for a minute. Not only that, they were sealed in it, right? They entered the ark, they shut the door, and it says God himself sealed them up inside. There was nothing that could take them out of that ark of safety until God was ready for them to leave it. And so God kept them through to the other side, and then he brought them into, essentially, a new earth. We could say a new heaven and a new earth because the... Windows of heaven had been broken up. Everything that was on this earth had been wiped out. Everything has been made new. And so they had went through the judgment or been taken out of the way of the judgment and then they were brought back down into a new earth. And we want to see uh, that that's a picture for us of what God has intended for us. We as Christians will be taken out of this earth Judgment will come, he'll cleanse this earth, and then he's going to put us in a new heaven and a new earth. And so, so many different types, so many different pictures that we see here, but just a very brief recap. The world is sinful. God has offered salvation. We receive it by faith. We serve as a result of what we believe. God supplies us with what we need to serve him. He has us being witnesses to the world, and uh, really the world's going to reject him and is going to reject us. But he keeps us safe and secure throughout everything that this life and this world may dish out. And one of these days, we are going to come across on the other side, and we are going to get to enjoy the blessings and benefits of the things that he has promised us. And uh, all of these things in Noah's story are secured by the provision of God. What I mean by that is it wasn't left up to Noah. It wasn't Noah's responsibility. It, was, it didn't hinge on Noah and his abilities. Instead, it was all on God. God was responsible for every bit of it. And so the pressure really was off of Noah. Yes, he had to build a boat. But God was the one that was orchestrating everything. And for us as Christians today, we need to know that God is in control, that he is with us, that he is providing for us, that he is taking care of us, that he is steering our ship. That's just... Uh, uh, a funny anecdote for us is that in all of the descriptions of the ark 
There was no rudder, no keel, no steering system whatsoever, no sails. None of that was mentioned, was it? They got inside and God steered the thing, right? Put it down right where it needed to be. And so everything was God's responsibility. And I think if we would see things from that way, put our faith, our trust in him, that he's going to steer our ship, that he's going to guard and guide us, he's going to protect us, that he has a plan and provision for all these things, it takes a lot of the load off of us, doesn't it? And not only does it take the load off of us, it puts our dependence on him where it needs to be. See, if we think that we're building the boat, if we think that we have to uh, win the world, if we think that it is our works and our righteousness and all these things that we're depending upon, we're going to leave him behind. But everything in this life is geared to showing us how much we need him. And Noah knew that. If most people today would have got the instructions to build the boat, they would have turned to everything in this world besides God to try to build the boat. Could you imagine trying to Google, how do I build an ark? <laughs> you can learn anything on Google, can't you? Imagine trying to do that yourself. We try so hard to do everything ourselves. But we find that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was the one who would put his faith in God and that he would follow, that he would obey, that he believed God and it's counted to him for righteousness. So does anyone have any questions or any comments or anything on what we've looked at with Noah tonight? Nothing at all. Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll call it a night. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And Lord, we do thank you for the day that you've given us. And we thank you for all of these passages that we find in Scripture, Lord, that we know that um, salvation is not just dependent on a couple passages in the New Testament, that it's not just hinted at throughout the Old Testament, Lord, but we see so many clear passages that show us uh, our relationship with you, Lord, and the way that you have reached out to mankind and the way that you have been uh, from the very beginning, uh, seeking to save that which is lost. From the very beginning, you've been providing with salvation, Lord, and that it has always been through faith. And Lord, help us whenever we start depending too much on ourselves, when we start leaning too much to our own understanding, whenever we start overemphasizing ourselves and de-emphasizing you. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes upon you and help us, Lord, to seek you and to, to follow after you. And Lord, help us to uh, live out what we believe, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. And amen.